wish to welcome you this morning as well. Special welcome to our regular folks and our visitors and special welcome to our family, children, grandchildren. Good to be together. Welcome you in the name of the one who said, I am the door. John 10 verse 9. I am the door. William Holman Hunt, who painted, who painted that world famous painting, the light of the world painting, who's standing at the door ready to knock. And in that painting, there is no external latch for the opening. And he illustrated, he painted that illustrating Revelations chapter 3 verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Illustrating and in an allegory way, typifying the door of each person's heart with only an internal latch that we can open up to allow him, Jesus, the Savior of the world, into our hearts and lives. So I, I challenge you this morning to, not because of who I am, but because of who Jesus is, to open that door this morning. It's, it's the truth of God's word. It's his message to mankind this morning that I'd like to share with you. That illustration, that painting, looks like the door is, the entranceway is somewhat overgrown and not used frequently, perhaps not even opened very often. And I hope that's not the case with your heart's door. I hope it's opened every day for the access of God into your heart and life, into your daily experiences. What does it sound like when that door opens? Does it creak? Does it look like the hinges are going to fall off? Well, open it anyway. Let the hinges fall off. A lot of God access is what I'm appealing to you this morning. We were talking about the Sunday school lesson. In the Sunday school lesson, I think Clean mentioned about, uh, I had to think about the, the account of the Samaritan who was on the way to worship. I had somewhat of a similar experience this morning as I pulled out our driveway onto County 16, looked to the right to check for traffic, and on beyond is a vehicle in the ditch not real far upside down on its roof. I had just come that way, not from the farm, not real long before, and it wasn't there then. I said, well, you know, we'd better go up and check and make sure nobody's in there yet. And, uh, you know, it gives you kind of a queasy feeling to crawl down there. I was in my suit, Neil, it was on its roof, and it didn't look like a lot of room in there, but uh, thankfully there was nobody inside that I could see. And uh, another older gentleman, I'm assuming, looked, appeared to be older than me, Coming the other way, he stopped too, and I said, you double-check me, just make sure nobody's inside. And uh, so I am not sure when it happened, how it happened. Uh, there seemed to be some child's uh, things, toys thrown around there. The one window was knocked out. and So I don't know what the outcome was of, of that incident. I didn't hear any sirens. I wasn't home real long. But uh, anyway, this morning what I'd like to share with you is... Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. I'd like to read verses 13 through 20. Matthew 16, verses 13 
through 20. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. The keys to the kingdom. Does that look like the keys to the kingdom of heaven, Braden? Not big enough, is it? Now that's a big key. And we've come a long way from the, what we call the skeleton key. I wish I had a front door that matched that key. They have to be massive. You know, we're, locks are a part of our life. Uh, matter of fact, oftentimes when I show up down the farm, the doors are locked. This morning, both doors were locked to the milk house. Does that mean I should turn around and go home? Well, I, I'm a little more determined than that. The reason the doors are locked is because there's a, door, there's a dog by the name of Tucker that knows how to work the latches. So I know if the doors are locked, probably Tucker's inside, and he's probably more important than me. But uh, anyway, so locks are a part of our life. Uh, we've upgraded our church door lock here just within the last maybe year. I'm not sure. You know, it's got them fancy little numbers. You know, it's frustrating to show up to a locked door without a key. And uh, the key is now with the numbers, you gotta, you got to remember the numbers. Someone tell me quickly what it is for the church. 1988. Thank you. Uh, I guess that's public information. We can share that. Actually, for many years, we never locked the door. <laughs> Until some juvenile local delinquents uh, decided to put our... Uh, put us to the test. I think it's a good policy to, to lock the doors. But uh, anyway, those are just some sight notes as I, I was thinking about the keys that Jesus was talking about here. And I, as I thought about the idea of keys here this morning, as I looked at this passage of Scripture, this intercourse, this conversation that Jesus had with Peter and uh, talked to him about the kingdom of heaven. And... Uh, so this morning, I see there's, I think, five keys here that I think are are not, you know, the, the thing with the key, there's only one key, and you got to, well, there may be multiple keys, and I, like to, I thought about it, I'd like to show up at Hardware Hank sometime in Dodge Center and show this to Chris and say, could you give me a duplicate of this one? <laughs> and, uh, but uh, this actually is just, I think, an ornamental key, but uh, I don't think it was ever designed to be used in a lock, but uh, we had it, I grabbed it off the shelf because I saw it, and I thought about it, and I figured, well... Sometimes a visual kind of implants in our minds, and maybe next week you can think about that key. What does the key of heaven look like? Do we possess that key? And I think there's five keys here within that help us to understand access to uh, to God's kingdom. As I thought about God's kingdom, as I thought about the kingdom of heaven, you know, I thought about, you know, naturally if there's a 
there's a kingdom, there's a king. It involves a king. And Jesus Christ, God, of course, is that king. Thought about the songwriter. He said, where uh, Jesus is, tis heaven there. It's his, abo- it's his boating place. And whether that's in our hearts or whether it's in the beyond, that's, that's where heaven is. Where there's a king, there's a throne. Where there's a throne, there's likely a throne room. Three things that I think keys would signify. First of all, there's access, the idea of access. You have the key. You know, I'm always impressed with people that always had rings of keys hanging on their belt. Now, I, I never liked that, but you know, I had a relative one time that he had a ring of keys, and I don't know what they were for, and I don't know if he knew what they were for, but you know, it, it gave him a look of importance, I guess. At least that's... They probably all had a good... I think we did ask him one time, what what are all those keys for? And he went down through and explained them, and that's fine. I never had that many important things to keep locked up, I guess, in life, but... Uh, you know, uh, access. The other thing is authority. Uh, I believe keys help us to understand that there's something important. There's something that only those that are authorized have access to. Uh, and again, we, we go back to some of the, you know, you know, the way keys and locks have changed from, from saves that had, used to have keys to numerical sequences like Maranatha Bible School. And I don't remember that that lock, that code anymore. And maybe you've changed it, I don't know. But, uh, you know, again, that has to do with our uh, our ability to remember those sequence. Stayed in a motel recently, you know, and they're, they can be frustrated. You get them them credit card size keys and you some you got to stick in, some you just tap. And a lot of them don't work the first time. <laughs> At least that's the way I've found it. Some do, some don't, but uh, a little more finicky. The third thing that keys would signify has more of a, a concept idea, and that's the insight. You know, the key to understanding something is an expression we often use, okay? The key to understanding something. So it's, it's a key truth. It's a key concept. Access, authority, and the ability to have insight into something. And they all relate to what we're, what we're talking about this morning as we think about the keys to, to the kingdom of heaven, keys to God's kingdom. The first one that I like to pick out here is in verse 16 of our text that I read here. I think the first key to understanding access into the kingdom of heaven is to know the king. And that's in verse 16. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's probably the, 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 the most important truth that we can understand about key, that we can understand about access into God's kingdom. Peter's confession here. You know, Jesus had just asked them before in verse 13, Whom do men say that I am? Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Notice he says the Son of Man. And then Jesus Jesus asked Peter, But whom say ye that I am? And then Peter took it to that next step. He said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that's that's a that's a comprehension. I, I wonder how much Peter understood about that, that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Give us a little bit of an insight into how much Peter understood that. Just flip in your Bibles back to Matthew chapter 14, uh, verses 27 through 30. This happened, I'm assuming this is chronological here, I didn't check it out, but in our King James here it's chronological, chapter 14, verse 27. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, is it I? Be not afraid. It is I, be not afraid. This is when the disciples were crossing the sea and the storm had come up and... uh, he speaks to them there. 
Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were coming into the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. So that had happened before. And that's the... That's the premises from which Peter, I believe, made this confession just a little bit later on. Jesus had clearly shown that he was the Savior. Is he my Savior? Do I understand my need of him? Peter understood his need of a Savior very, very uh, uh, graphically as he looked and saw them waves portions and as he stepped out of the boat and began to walk toward Jesus. Would have I had that? Dimension of faith to step out of the water. I don't know how to swim. And, you know, I, I don't know. It would be a challenge. But Jesus bid him come. Can I trust God when he tells me to step out in faith and come to him in the experiences of life? This is where I want you. Get out of the boat and walk to him. Jesus clearly showed his sovereignty over nature, the wind, the waves, the buoyancy factor. Now, Peter was a fisherman, so I don't know if he knew how to swim or not. Uh, it was enough that the waves were boisterous that he thought he's going to the bottom, I believe, because he cried out, Lord, save me. I believe to know God, to know Christ, to know Jesus, is to place your faith in him. How well do I know Jesus this morning? How well do you know Jesus this morning? O thou of little faith. How many times does Jesus come to us and say, O thou of little faith? I was also challenged as I looked at the uh, the testimony of the, uh, the rest of the ones that were there. Their confession in verse uh, 33, Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth thou art the Son of God. That dimension of faith to say, God, you are who you are. I need you. I need you as a Savior. I need you as a King in my life. I need you on the throne of my life. You know, it's not just reading. It's not just singing. It's not just praying or talking about Him. But I believe it's it needs to go deeper than that. It's all part of it. But I believe we need to daily, hourly, be conscious of Him and in His of His presence in our lives. I thought of that Wednesday evening as Justin was sharing, as he was talking about the, the difference of, of sinful man versus a man that is, is spiritual and, and seeking those things which are above. I believe it all comes down to God consciousness. How conscious am I of God in everyday experiences? And it's, it's something we need to work on. I need to work on. In your home, in your work, in your community, God's presence, I believe, needs to be sensed and felt personally first to me and then I believe that that feeling will I told the man this the older gentleman there I said well thank God there was no one in he didn't make a comment so I don't know what he thought he was dressed up somewhat I don't know if he was on the way to to church I I was hoping he reaffirmed my my uh my testimony that I was glad no one was in but uh, so I don't know maybe maybe he was thinking but uh as we think of knowing God know the king Know him, read his word, know him, pray often to him, 
Know Him, praise Him, but know Him by listening for Him. And I think that's a part sometimes we forget. We forget to listen to God. Listen for His response. I believe He's pleased when we read His Word. I believe He's pleased when we pray to Him. I believe He's pleased when we praise, sing praises to Him. But I believe we need to remember to just sometimes be quiet and listen to Him speak to the needs in our hearts and lives. God knows you better than I know you. God knows me better than I know myself. Unlock that key to your heart this morning and allow Him access, free access. First key is to know God. The second key is, I believe, the effect of God's Holy Spirit controlling my life. And I, I see that here in the uh, experience in this interchange here with Jesus and Peter. In verse 17, after Peter made that uh, confession, and Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it, un- revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. My Father has revealed it unto you. How do I believe? I believe I have the potential, and this goes back to again what Justin was talking about Wednesday evening. How do we relate to God? It's it's through the spirit dimension of our lives. And I, I think many times we don't give enough of, you know, we're so physical, we don't allow the spiritual dimension to express itself. And maybe I'm just talking for myself. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I, I think it puts it, Paul here puts it really well. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, how this all should work and, and what our experience should be. First, First Corinthians chapter two, uh, verse nine. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what a man knoweth the things of man. For what man knoweth the things of man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness, Unto him, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, but that he may instruct him? Now notice verse 16. But we have the mind of Christ. But we have the mind of Christ. How do we have that mind of Christ? It's by the Holy Spirit being within us. That's how we have the mind of Christ. And I, again, I can't, I can't uh, totally explain that, but I, I believe it by faith that we can have the mind of Christ. And I think that's an amazing truth that we need to allow to permeate our whole being. God giving us His mind through His Holy Spirit. That means think like God. That means act like God. means talk like God. Uh, taking that kingdom key of uh, allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts and lives taking that kingdom key and unlock the throne room of your heart and mind and heart and allow him to reign from there, just as he related to Nicodemus in John 3, 5, that conversation, except a man be born of the water and the spirit. And then he talks, and Nicodemus seems somewhat confused, and this goes back to our earlier Sunday school lessons in verse 8. 
he said, well, how can those things be? And uh, Jesus used the wind to demonstrate and to illustrate how that works. We don't see the wind, but we see the effect of it. And that's the way the Spirit functioning in our lives is we need to see that Spirit fruit just growing, multiplying, bearing fruit for the Master. The Holy Spirit-controlled life is going to give us access into the kingdom of heaven. The third key, I think, is is another aspect here that I see in verse 18, first part of verse 18. Uh, and I believe that's that third key is uh, thinking about what our potential is. Verse 18, it says, And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But the first part of that verse Take that third key and unlock your potential in Christ. I believe all of us here are here for a purpose. And I believe we have a potential. God wants to use each one of you. As we yield ourselves to Him as our King and allow Him to fill ourselves, our lives with His Spirit, then we can experience our full potential. Um, and here it was Peter. He said, uh, it was Peter, but God says, I will build my church. God will build his relationship with you and use you as a tool, material in his kingdom. How does God build his kingdom? I believe God builds his kingdom one soul, one person at a time. And I'd like to just flip back again to just earlier here in Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13, we have the uh, one of the kingdom parables there, uh, beginning at verse 3. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. And some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth. And forthwith they sprang up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. And I'll stop reading there. And Jesus later on in that passage there interpreted that parable. But I, I, Jesus is talking about potential there. He mentions a uh, hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold. So I don't know what your potential here is this morning to yield fruit for God's kingdom. God knows what your potential is. And I believe it's far greater than what we many times are willing to exert effort. God, I believe, can do remarkable things with a person who is yielded to his will. I challenge you this morning to ask God, what is your potential for my life? I need to ask myself that. God, am I living up to the hundredfold yield? Am I living up to the sixtyfold yield or the thirtyfold yield? What am I... What's my performance level? You know, God doesn't expect us to handle everything. You know, I'm, I'm just here one little space of blimp of time in life. And I'm accountable for that time. But yet God is looking to me for, and God is looking to each one of you, for that, that, that multiplication factor of yield. Will you disappoint him in that potential? Or will you exceed the expectations but God does expect us to do what we can. God does expect us to do what He can, what we can, and allow Him to work through our lives. When God has a submissive, willing kingdom worker, I believe there can be a lot, much done and accomplished for eternity. Everything that we do 
in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe, will be marked down, chalked down, sometime rewarded in eternity. And again, that shouldn't be our sole motivation, but uh, God wants to build. God will build his kingdom. Will you be a part of it is the challenge I leave with you. And what what's your potential? It's a question I ask. What's my potential? The fourth key is in the latter part of verse 18, and that's the key to success. Um, and that's uh, in that sentence there, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's a powerful statement. But you know, Jesus can say that. I can say I'm going to build this church, but you know, it would come to naught. God, I have confidence this morning that God will build this church and he can build this church as we find our place in God's kingdom here. The key to success. How do you measure success? I think the key to measuring success is you measure it by God's will. If it's God's will, it's as good as done. I will build my church. Consider it done. But the, the, the problem that, that comes in play sometimes that we, we uh, encounter in our experiences, we can sometimes look around. We hear it today that you know it seems like the church is sometimes falling apart. Is it or not? I think God is still building his church. Maybe... Maybe there's a dimension of mortal man that needs to be crucified. Maybe there's a dimension of mortal man that needs to be put down. And God works with mortal material. And that, to me, that's amazing. God used the 12 disciples. Today, he uses his ministers. Today, he uses you as a congregation. He uses every one of his children to build his church. God uses mortal being, material things. That's you and me. How do I measure success? I measure it by... If it's God's will. And I need to remember that, that it's, it's, it's God's will. And He wants to build His church. And He will build His church. Not wants to, but He will. First Peter chapter 2, uh, I'd like to read verse 4 through the end of the chapter. To whom coming as unto living stones, unto a living stone, this is a lot indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood. To offer up spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. A living stone. Are you a living stone in that building? In that kingdom? Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Sion, a chief cornerstone, elect and precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious. Notice that. Is Jesus precious to you this morning? But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallow, the same is made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient unto, uh, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation. Do you feel like a chosen generation this morning? Royal priesthood, a holy nation, peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light which in times past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but have now obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of vis- visitation. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for a punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God. Notice that. For so is the will of God that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as, as free, not using the liberty 
your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as servants of God, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be subject to your masters and fear with all fear, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the forward. For this is thankworthy of a man for conscience toward God, endure grief and suffering wrongfully. And I'll stop reading there. I was going to read through verse 25, but I see we're getting out of time here. Uh, it talks about returning there in verse 25. As, for we as, for we were as sheep going astray, but not are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Success, chosen of God, accepted by God and by Jesus. A chosen generation, now the people of God as free and then being returned unto the shepherd and bishop of our souls. I believe that spells success and security in God this morning in that kingdom. Now the fifth key is probably the most controversial part of, of this text here, and that's the authority key. Um, I mentioned one of the dimensions of, of keys is, is that you know we understand authority. And I think what, what makes it controversial is the fact that we some we so often as human beings we get authority mixed up. It's not my authority. Uh, it's the authority of, of God. <clears throat> it's God's authority, not our authority. And I, I, as I thought about this, I thought, you know, uh, remembering what Brother Pete Peters has said already, I had a quote in my Bible. It says, our love becomes soft if it's not strengthened with truth, and our truth becomes hard if it's not softened with love. And, uh, you know, that's a, that's a good statement. I think it puts the perspective of God and who he is and the way he handled his authority in a very good way. And it's something that I need to be reminded of. I, I'm sure I shared this before with you. Um, Howard, Hendrickson, Howard Hendrickson in his book, The Christian Home, and I believe it applies to, it was talking about the Father. Howard Hendrickson was talking about the Father. But I believe it applies to us as church leaders as well. He says, there's no sure way for a husband or father to confirm that he is not the head of his home if he has to use the, the, uh, he used the expression of a club running around the house in the authority, with the club of authority vocalizing that he is the head and the authority of the home. He said, there's probably no sure way to assert that you likely maybe are not the authority if you're, if you're going to have to vocalize it and, uh, and perhaps be abusing your authority. I'm not against, I think, as husbands, as fathers, we have authority in our home, but we need to do it and approach it in a way that is biblical and godly. I believe as as fathers and as, as church leaders, I believe our authority needs to be seen by example of submission to God's authority. And I think that's maybe sometimes where we miss it as fathers sometimes. We fail to, to uh, demonstrate that submission to God when our children see that, I am in submission to God. I'm only a channel through which that authority is flowing. And the same in the church position as well. I'm only a channel through which that authority is flowing. It's not my, and I believe we need to have the scripture and the truth to back up, you know, what we are requiring. So those are the five keys that I like to think of, I'd like you to think about as I think about the, uh, the keys to the kingdom. And I believe God did not, Jesus here was not just entrusting those keys to Peter, but I believe he's entrusting these keys to you and I today in our 21st century, that we can share those keys with people, that they can experience that access. Use the keys that I've given to you this morning. Don't lose them. 
The story is told of a man who was one time seen crawling, searching along the side of his driveway. And a neighbor, seeing him, came out and inquired as to what he was searching for. And he said, well, he had lost a key for his house. And uh, so the neighbor began to search, help him search there in the lawn, looking for that key. And it wasn't long until there was a few more had inquired and stopped and helped him search for that key as well. And finally, someone asked him, they said, well, where did you lose your key? And he thought for just a bit, and he said, you know, I think maybe I had it in the basement last time. And they're like, why aren't you looking in the basement? And he said, well, there's sure a whole lot more light out here than in the basement. And that that's a made-up story to illustrate, not by me, but that's a made-up story to illustrate how, how uh, tilted, distorted our human logic can sometimes get. Okay, so we're looking for the key. We're looking for the truth. Where are we looking for the keys to the kingdom of heaven this morning? Are we looking in the scripture? Are we asking God, show me those keys so that I can unlock the throne room of my life, allow you to reign there? Our efforts sometimes are so short-sighted. Logic gets tilted. But God knows what we need. Use the key of the throne room to experience life with the king this morning. Unlock that key. Open that door. Use that second key to unlock the power of God living within me by his Holy Spirit. The third key, unlock your potential. When I look at you this morning, I see potential, and I'm blessed by that potential. Are you yielding that potential that God wants a hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold? Fourth, do you feel successful? Don't allow your measure of success to be distorted by what the world calls success, but rather... Success is knowing you're doing God's will. And again, the fifth key, that of authority, is seen by an example in my life of submission to God. As I thought about, as I shared this message, and as I thought about this message, I thought of the Summer Bible School Pilgrim's Progress this summer. You know, a Christian and faithful in the dungeon of in Doubting Castle, I believe it was. And... Uh, Sitting there locked up. And it wasn't until he, for quite a while, and you know, we sometimes allow things in life to, well, like I mentioned the little story there, distort our thinking. The pilgrim remembers the key that was given to him prior to the journey. And you know what? He put it up into the key of that, into the lock of, they put that key into the lock of the cell and it clinked. Giant despair heard that lock going and was coming out after him, but they were free. You and I can experience that freedom this morning, what we read about this morning in the scripture. Also, the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Is that my experience this morning? Turn it, if you're open in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16 yet. I want to do something just a little bit different here. Matthew 16, verse 16. And if you can consciously read that verse, putting your name, I want you to do it vocally. Matthew 16, we'll read it out loud audibly. I'm going to say my name, you say your name. Instead of Simon Peter, say your name, okay? I'm going to start. And Warren answered, saying, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. God bless you.